Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel 12? We saw last time that Saul just became angry and aroused over what had happened with some of the people, and he raised an army of 330,000 men. And they went to war and defeated the Ammonites. So he was one day plowing a field, although he had been anointed the king. It's kind of like, you know, everybody was excited when they anointed him a king. He goes back home. Everybody else goes back home. He's like, well, okay. But then something happened that for the first time in many, many, many years had brought the people together as a nation. And because they had a king, by his leadership, what was happening to one small part of them was happening to all of them. And so he came against the Ammonites with 330,000 soldiers. People rejoiced. Saul was happy. And so it's a watershed moment. It's something that is overlooked quite a bit, but in the, in the process of God's building his people and moving his elect finally to the kingdom in which the Christ of God, son of David, will reign as king of kings. As we move along that way, we've come to the era of the kings with Saul being the first regarding the history of Israel in the Old Testament. Well, that, that naturally requires the end of the previous era. The era of the judges. So we think about how Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan River into Canaan. And they marched and they fought and uh, with the power and strength of God and the guidance of God on their side, the enemies of the Canaanites fell here and there and everywhere. They began to be established in the land. And then life just sort of became normal with everybody. And Joshua died. And there was no particular ruler or leader, human leader, in Israel. And so the, the son, it comes down from his great-great-grandfathers, great-grandfathers, all the way down to the people who are in the generation, the time of Samuel here and Saul that it had been just a, a sort of a chaotic existence and they, they had no cohesion. And so they were easy prey to those of Canaan and who, who had begun to creep back in and uh, assume 
powerful positions over Israel because these Israelites were submissive to those people and those Israelites, those tribes over there submissive here. And then the Philistines scared all of them because they had weapons of iron. As these people crept back in, they brought with them their culture, their religion. Now Israel had the law and had strict instructions about how to maintain separation from idolatry, false gods, and so forth. But in weakness, they became submissive once again after many, many years had passed since Joshua to those nations who were reemerging in positions of power and became assertive over Israel. And in that submission, Israel became mixed with those nations and fell into idolatry and into the worship of other gods. Now we've talked about what that meant. It's a very sensual thing to worship the Baals or, or these other gods based on fertility and so forth. But it's against the law of God. So in their sinfulness, they would become oppressed. In their oppression, they would cry out in repentance for Yahweh to help them. Yahweh would raise up a judge. And the judge would be so filled with the Spirit of God that he became a leader and would lead them out of their sinfulness. So an era of repentance, an era of restoration, giving way to weakness again, combining their culture with foreign cultures, sinfulness, idolatry. This thing went over and this was a cycle that just kept, that kept going for 300 or so years. The time of the judges, the era of the judges is called by Bible scholars the dark ages of Israel. They didn't have a leader of any kind and they didn't come together uh, to, to follow the way of God they had no one to stand up and demand that the people uh, follow the way of God and be obedient to God. So this is what happened to them during the time of the judges. 300 years or so. Samuel, and we've discussed this before when we started our study. Samuel is the last of the judges. He's also a prophet. Now, even though he resigns his position as judge, he can't be uncalled from the office of prophet. So here in 1 Samuel 12, we will see what some call with regard to his being a judge. Some call it Samuel's sermon. They call it his farewell address. Well, he's going to still be on the scene. 
Just because he withdraws and he declares an end to the times of the judges and gives way to the people's demand for a king, just because that happens doesn't mean that Samuel has stopped being Samuel and has stopped being used of the Lord. But here, an important transition in the time of God's people in the Old Testament when the time of the judges comes to an end and with Saul the king the time of the kings is ushered in so no more judges now there will be kings so let's look at it 1 Samuel chapter 12 Samuel resigns his office as judge Samuel said to all of Israel, Behold, I have hearkened to your voice, to everything which you have said to me, and I have made a king to reign over you. Now behold, the king is walking before you. And I have become old and hoary, that is gray-headed, and my sons are here with you, and I have walked before you from my youth and until this day. Of course, the story of Samuel began with his mother praying about her child. So he has been a servant of the people all of his life. He started out that way. It's always been that way with Samuel. Here I am, bear witness against me before Yahweh and before his anointed. Whose ox did I take or whose donkey did I take? Whom have I robbed? Or did I rob? Or whom did I oppress? Or from whose hand did I take a ransom that I hide my eyes therewith and I shall restore to you? Now it's a sad truth. But every time someone in a high position of religious leadership resigns his position Many times, all kinds of accusations come against him once he's gone. Samuel says, before I leave, and he's in front of the congregation, before I leave, if anybody here thinks that I have wronged them in any way, if I have oppressed you, taken anything away from you, mistreated you in any way, I will restore it to you. Well, Samuel knew that had never happened. So in his, in his time of resignation, he presents his integrity before the people. Obviously, Samuel has seen in times past how people treat leaders once the leaders are gone. They make up all kinds of things. If there's something wrong, it's his fault. Something happens that shouldn't have happened, and he was already gone, it was still his fault, right? So Samuel says, if I've done anything that has troubled you, you tell me. I'll make it right. And they said, you didn't rob us, you didn't oppress us. You didn't take anything from anyone's hand. And he said to them, Yahweh is a witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day. 
that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. In the presence of Yahweh and in the integrity of his anointed servant, Samuel, we state this unequivocally, you have done nothing wrong. Well, this is how the era of the judges is coming to an end. Probably of all of the judges, this, this man Samuel had more integrity uh, than any of his predecessors. So Samuel makes this proclamation and the people know that this is a big change for them. God is always up to something. And so now this, 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 this huge assembly of people, millions of them, are transitioning from the era of the judges to the time of the kings. Samuel himself, the last of the judges, brings it to a close. With the acclamation from everyone that he's done nothing wrong and that the transition will be smooth and no one, if anything goes wrong after this, no one can blame Samuel. And, and you know what? Saul's the king. Things are going to go wrong. So, you know, it, it, if you're thinking like Samuel, this is the gospel according to Charles, you can take it or leave it. Samuel is thinking, well, you know, Saul, is, he's the tallest guy in the crowd, but he's not the brightest star in the sky. And he's going to mess up. He's, he's not the most dedicated of God's servants. He doesn't know his Bible very well. He was anointed king and said, oh, okay, and goes back to the field and starts plowing again. So you can think Samuel's saying, something's going to mess up here because this is the people's choice. God did not move upon the people to do this. Something's going to mess up and somebody's going to want to say, well, that old Samuel, he should have kept us from doing this. We were doing just fine. It's all Samuel's fault. Samuel, no. As Yahweh is witness against you, I've done nothing wrong. And in the name of Yahweh, they said, he is witness. You've done nothing wrong. So now, cleared of that hurdle, Samuel admonishes the people. They have to be prepared for what they got themselves into. And Samuel said to the people, it is Yahweh who made Moses and Aaron and who brought your forefathers up from the land of Egypt. And now stand and I shall reason with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteous acts which he did to you and to your forefathers. Uh, he was righteous. It'd be, you could say his saving deeds. How he imposed his righteousness to satisfy himself when you were so sinful. And he delivered you time and time again in our history of Israel, Samuel says. All the righteous acts which he did in your behalf 
You didn't do it. He did it. So what, what Samuel is saying is this. We're just a bunch of misfits. We have, we've messed up every generation in which we've lived. Of all the nations, Yahweh separated us to be His peculiar people. And we had a specific task as His people. And we kept messing it up generation after generation after generation. And because we were so unrighteous, God had to move in His righteousness to deliver us from the mess we made. When Jacob came to Egypt and your forefathers cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh sent Moses and Aaron. They brought your forefathers out of Egypt and they made them dwell in this place. They forgot Yahweh, they forgot the Lord your God. They forgot Yahweh, the Lord your God, or their God, the Lord their God. And he delivered them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they waged war with them. They cried out to Yahweh and said, We have sinned. We have forsaken Yahweh and have served the Baalim, the Baals, the, and Ashtaroth, the consort goddess of the God. Now remember, it's a fertility cult. And it, uh, it, it worships the production of life. And in the Canaanite religion, it therefore worshipped all kinds of sexual misdeeds and misbehaviors on behalf of the worshipers. They had temple prostitutes, male and female. And so the, the sexual activity of the people was the center of the worship. So therefore you had the male and the female. You had the, you had the God and his consort. You had the Baalim and the Ashtaroth. So that tells you what kind of lifestyle they fell into. And this happens over and over again in the Old Testament. Now save us from the hand of our enemies and we shall serve you. And Yahweh sent Jerubbaal and Badan, Jephthah, Samuel. And he saved you from the hand of your enemies round about. And you dwelt in safety. Now he brings it up to the most recent clash that they had just been delivered from. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of Ammon, came upon you, you said to me, No, but a king shall rule over us. And when Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God, was your king, Yahweh was your king, Yahweh your God was your king, and you said to me, 
We want a king to rule over us. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, whom you have requested, behold, Yahweh has appointed a king over you. You may recall several chapters back, Samuel says to Yahweh, they, they want a king like the other nations. And Yahweh says, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. So here's what we're going to do, Samuel. We're going to let them have their own way. What's well, the worst thing that can happen to us is for us to have our own way. We're going to let them have what they have requested. And so Yahweh appointed a king over you. If you will fear Yahweh and serve him, he just bypasses the king, see. And hearken to his voice, and you will not rebel against the commandments of Yahweh, the word of God. Both you and the king who reigns over you will be after the Yahweh, the Lord your God. But if you will not hearken to the voice of Yahweh, and you will rebel against the commandments of Yahweh, Yahweh's hand will be against you and against your fathers. There will be no generational divide here. All of the people from the oldest to the youngest, all of them, will fall under the judgment of Yahweh. So this is very strict. Samuel is saying this. Essentially, in the center of your life, nothing has really changed. You still have the articles and material and outfittings of the tabernacle. You still have the law. You still have the priesthood. You still have obligations before Yahweh. You still have the word of God as far as they had it in their day. And you still have the obligation to be obedient to the Lord your God. That never changes. You can have a king. You can have anything you want to. But the obligation that you have to the Lord your God never changes. So if you ever start playing around with those responsibilities, Yahweh will come against all of you. Every one of you. And you'll all suffer. Now Samuel is delivering the word of God. You may remember very early how God stamped his approval on the ministry and the writings of Samuel. The word of God that came through Samuel. Essentially Yahweh said this is my word that comes through my servant Samuel. Now he's a very old man and he's, he's talking pretty hard to these people. Because they need to hear it. It's like Samuel is saying, when everything goes wrong, don't you blame me. You asked for this. And because you were so adamant, Yahweh agreed and let you have your way. But when things go wrong, in your responsibility to Yahweh, Yahweh will come and judge all of you. So he has just said this. And here's a sign from Yahweh. Even now, stand and see this great thing which Yahweh will do before your eyes. 
Is it not wheat harvest today? Now the time of wheat harvest was a dry season. Okay, so keep that in mind. I shall call to Yahweh, and he will send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your evil is great, which you have done in the eyes of Yahweh to ask for yourselves a king. And Samuel called to Yahweh, and Yahweh sent thunder and rain on that day. And all the people greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. It was the word of God, and it was coming through Samuel. And it was a very unusual time of the year for thunder and rain to come. And it did just as soon as Samuel called out for it to Yahweh. Down it came. Now, what was the, what, what was the sign and what, what was being confirmed here? Your request for a king came from a heart that snubbed the Lord your God. You had no faith in God. You didn't believe that God could lead you, could, that God could raise up whom he wanted to raise up, take care of you. You didn't believe that. And so your evil is great. This is something Samuel has to hammer home because they've just come out of the era of the judges. And the last phrase in the book of Judges is this, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So now it's right in their eyes to have a king. The problem was they said, we want a king like the other nations. Israel is not the other nations. Israel is Israel. The other nations are called Gentiles. All of everybody else who are nations in the world are referred to as the nations or as the Gentiles, but not Israel. Israel is Israel. They must understand how prideful, selfish, and foolish it was to demand that they bypass the direct and intimate relationship they had with Yahweh and ask for a king like everybody else. Samuel called to Yahweh, thunder and rain came. That day. Then what happens? The people greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. So Samuel is going to say, okay, now that we've gotten this out of the way, I'm going to call you to faithfulness. Let's let this time, this new era, let's let it start like this. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to Yahweh, the Lord our God, and don't let us die. For we've added to all of our sins, evil, to ask for ourselves a king. <laughs> well, you can't undo it now. See, you already got a king. Did you know there's no such thing as a free puppy? I'll let that rest where it is. Oh, Samuel, we did an evil thing. Now Samuel had more or less called them to think about this at the very outset when they said they wanted a king. Didn't matter. They, they just demanded a king like everybody else. Upon reflection, thunder and rain, Samuel, don't let us die. 
We've added evil to evil and sin. We've asked for a king for ourselves. And Samuel said to the people, okay, fear not. You have done all this evil, but do not turn aside from following Yahweh, and you shall serve Yahweh with all your heart. Some many decades later, Ahab will become king of what will then be the northern kingdom of Israel. Because of sin, by then it will have divided into two kingdoms. He married Jezebel, who was a priestess of Baal. And she was leading the whole nation into Baal worship. And Ahab was right there with her, all these awful, horrible things. And the people wouldn't do anything. The people didn't object. The people didn't look at Jezebel and say, no. Didn't do it. Just fell right in with it. And God had to raise up a prophet, Elijah, from way out in the rural area to come in. He looked like a wild man. But he found his way right to Ahab and he says, listen, it won't rain again until I say so because of what you and Jezebel are doing to the Lord's people. Over three years, no rain, the great drought. And the story of Elijah goes on. Here's what Samuel is saying. It doesn't matter. You have a personal responsibility to Yahweh. Christians today have a personal responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ and His precious Word. Your responsibility is not to the king. His responsibility is to you. So a king comes along and leads you in a path of unrighteousness. This is what he's really warning them about. You must not turn aside from following Yahweh. You must follow him with all of your heart. And you shall not turn aside... For them you would go after vain or empty things. It's, a, it's an interesting. There's a sermon just in the, in the word there. Hatahu. The root is tahu. And it, the root is actually used in the last phrase. Tahu where it's vain or nothing. It's among the first words in the Hebrew text. where it says everything was without form and void. Tahu, vahu. Here's what he says. You don't serve Yahweh with all your heart. You'll go after empty things. It will bring you to nothingness. It'll bring nothing but emptiness. 
which can never profit you or deliver you because they are nothing. Formless. Vain. You gain nothing. So what was the great profit to the people's lives? P-R-O-F-I-T. When they followed Ahab and Jezebel, it was starvation, humiliation, death. It was a terrible time because the people followed the king and they did not hearken to this great sermon of Samuel. You shall not turn aside for then you would go after empty things and those things will never help you or deliver you or profit you because they are nothing. For Yahweh will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. So you think of all the great sin of the people, even after this time, through the period of the judges, the sins of the kings, including David and Solomon. How is it that God just puts up with it? It's a Hebrew word called chesed. It's translated either loving kindness or mercy, but it means covenant loyalty, covenant love. God made these his people and he loves them. He loves them with absolute love in his covenant love and he assumes the responsibility of taking care of them even when they refuse to take care of themselves, which they are unable to do. None of us can do that. But what he does... He does for his name's sake. God has committed himself to these people. He will deliver the Christ of God from that unruly group of people called the Israelites. Someday the virgin will bring forth the child. For Yahweh has sworn to make you a people for himself. I also far be it from me to sin to Yahweh in ceasing to pray for you. But I shall instruct you in the good and proper way. Only fear Yahweh. And you shall serve him in truth with all your heart. Foresee the great things which he has dealt with you. But if you will do wrong, both you and your king will be swept away, destroyed. God has placed his word above all of his name. And he knows how to punish and get the attention of his people. And so how does this thing end? Well, it ends with great sin and finally the loss in an earthly sense, the loss of the kingdom, but the preservation of the throne of David via the son of David until finally the son of David comes and then comes again to reign in power and glory and in that great thousand years 
what God has always promised. By the power and grace of God, finally comes true. We're going to stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.